The Home Run Derby and All-Star Break are behind us. Now let's get ready for some pennant fever as the second half of the season begins today. We'll see who may be laying in the weeds as a contender and who may fall apart as a pretender. Plenty of baseball, among other things, as I'll turn up the heat while you do your best to stay cool during this hot stretch. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And depending on where you're listening to this, I hope you're staying cool as temperatures have skyrocketed throughout North America and beyond. But I'll be sure to keep you cool with all that's transpiring in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Not a lot to get into, if you could believe it. What have I been discussing pretty much for the last, I'll say, three weeks? The Sports Dead Zone Part 2. I know I'm beating it to a pulp, but there isn't much else going on. Yes, we could talk about James Harden and how he extended his contract two years with an opt-out. I believe 60-some-odd million, and what that does for the Sixers, at least for this upcoming year, giving them some flexibility, bringing in P.J. Tucker. All right, we could talk about that to a blue in the face, but not really too much to get into that. But I'll spend a minute or two later on. Not much else going on. NHL has quieted down as far as their free agency period goes. NFL, you have training camps that will open up next week. The Raiders officially opened up their camp yesterday in Las Vegas, or outside of that in Henderson, but the NFL is going to stay quiet for the most part unless we start getting into the exhibition season, which a lot of the starters aren't going to play, and yeah, you may have some injuries and some quarterback controversies, but that's not until next month, so we'll lay low on that. Oh, I could discuss about the ESPYs for about 90 seconds for those who have watched, and I could pound on that for a little bit, but again, that's going to get tiresome quick, so... Baseball is going to be the spotlight of this podcast because 
Besides that, what else is there to discuss? Is there an MMA bout going on this weekend? Or maybe a boxing match that has fallen under the radar that I haven't been paying attention to? Are we going to talk about Little League World Series? Which I'm sure that's going to start up sometime in the coming weeks. Nothing really to get into other than baseball. And I'm sure what we witnessed here over the last 48 to 72 hours. And I'm going to say, full disclosure. I did not watch any of the All-Star game. And I watched bits and pieces of the Home Run Derby. And all I heard from various people, Sports Talk Radio, and from what I've read, and we'll go back to the Home Run Derby to start, is that it was way too long, dragged out, a little controversy with Kyle Schwarber and Albert Pujols. Maybe Schwarber had given it up there just so Pujols could go on to the next round. And there was even a miscount from what I heard as far as One of his home runs not counting because they did have a swing off there at the end, which I didn't watch. But I guess with Pujols, this being his last All-Star game, and maybe Schwarber just saying, ah, let me surrender here and give it to the future Hall of Famer for him to have one last shining moment when it comes to the All-Star festivities. And with your winner being Juan Soto, and even him mired in a little controversy, which is much ado about nothing as far as how he got to Los Angeles and how Scott Boris, his agent, who is going to look for that mega deal of all time somewhere in the distant future because he still has a couple of years left on his contract. If you listen to the podcast on Monday, I delved into all of it with him trying to catch a flight out to LA and going commercial and not getting a chartered flight. It's just a mess. And I did not invest more than four minutes on what took place Monday to where Soto won and him being the guy that raised the trophy or the, I guess, the bats that are crossed, whatever that trophy looks like. Pete Alonso, the back-to-back winner, was dethroned in the, I guess it was the semifinals, off the top of my head, as he lost to Julio Rodriguez, I believe. But with it not only being too long, and me that I was anticipating to watch the Derek Jeter documentary, which followed the Home Run Derby, and when I tuned in at 10 o'clock and I noticed that they were not even in the finals, I said to myself, geez, this thing isn't going to start till maybe sometime 10 to 11, quarter to 11, and I was not going to stay up for it. I could stream it on ESPN+, Plus. not that I'm giving them a plug, but... So, right off the bat, the Home Run Derby, I was not going to partake in, and I'm glad I didn't. And as far as the game itself... As I've said on Monday's podcast, these games over the last at least five, six years, if I've spent three minutes watching an at-bat or even a half an inning, that was way too much. Tuesday night, I was actually out with my grandson. Yes, I have a grandson, people. To where he's in town. He does not live here, but his mom was up here, and I had an opportunity to spend some time with him as he's here for a few more days. And I understand I did not miss anything. Yes, I did see the highlight of Giancarlo Stanton hitting a rocket to the Hollywood sign, followed that up by Byron Buxton down the line, which was the last scoring of the game, and I believe that was in the fourth inning. Way to go, Tony Gonsolin, the guy who started off this year 10-0, and and a lot of people thought, Gonsolin, he has arrived. He's a guy that was buried in that rotation, and maybe he could rise to the occasion. Now, granted, it's an all-star game, so I'm not going to get crazy, but there he was in a big spot to at least keep the American League at bay 
and he spit it up for an inning to where the final score happened to be, or the final scoring, I should say, happened to be in that inning to where the American League won its ninth straight game 3-2. to two. And I believe 21 of 25, which as a boy, the National League always buried the, the American League. The one year they didn't was in 83 at Old Comiskey Park. Fred Lynn, the Grand Slam, who at the time was the first Grand Slam in All-Star Game history, off of Atlee Hammaker, the old San Francisco Giant pitcher. And I remember watching that in my living room. And the All-Star Game took a much different shape then. You got into it. The leagues were different. Pre-interleague, pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-free agency to the point where players are all over the place. And now it's not even a patch compared to what it was yesteryear. And I'm not trying to come across as the old guy, get off my lawn attitude. But let's face it, the game back then, same game, I get it. You still have to outscore your opponent. You still go base to base, home runs, etc. But the identification of both teams, you already knew who was going to be in those games at that time. You knew that it was going to be Mike Schmidt at third, and I'm talking National League. Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Steve Garvey, Dave Parker, American League, pretty much the same deal. George Brett, Reggie Jackson, maybe even Thurman Munson before he passed in 1978, Carlton Fisk, Jim Rice. You were able to know once you watched that game that not only where these players and what teams that they were representing, but you knew that they were a fixture and a part of an American League which, I get it, different time, but the games meant a lot more because there was a lot of pride, not only for the players, but they played in the league and they wanted to beat the other league. And especially back then, when the National League just buried the American League every year, and now that it's in reverse, but of course with all the player movement and the fraternization even more so of the players in this day and age, it turns the game into a bore. And I know they try to enhance it with all the mic'd up stuff and the ceremonies before the game with different luminaries, whether it be Jackie Robinson's widow, Rachel, who celebrated her 100th birthday, and God bless her for that, she is a treasure, or bringing in David Ortiz to go into the dugout to pop up with an interview and hugs and whatever it is. And I get it that they're trying to add that for the younger fan, It's not going to work for the older fan because that's not what they're used to and we understand with technology and the way things are in 2022. They're going to do whatever to not necessarily promote the game or the players, but to get that inside look of what a player is thinking, what they're doing on the field, communicating pitcher to catcher as I read with Nestor Cortez and Jose Trevino. And yes, it may be all well and good, but at the end of the day, if you're a baseball fan, you don't need all that extra stuff. And how I look at it is, is that the game, as it is today, because of everything that I mentioned, and even with the uniforms for that matter, it doesn't really identify the player when they come to the plate because the National League has an all-white uniform, of course with the outline of their team's logo, and the American League had the black uniforms. You just don't really get a good feel of the game. You get a sense of its history, but once the first pitch is thrown, that's it. It all goes out the window. And the other thing is, is that the players that I'm sure a lot of people have come to see, they'll get two at-bats and then they're gone. 
Think about this. The last time an all-star starter played all nine innings, you have to go back to 2006 when Carlos Beltran of the Mets did so. And I believe that game was in Pittsburgh. So you don't have these players, whether you're the Mike Trouts of the world, whether you're the Aaron Judges of the world, in the National League, I understand he didn't play in the game. I was thinking Bryce Harper. But guys who started, and I can't even tell you who the starters are. That's how disconnected I am from the All-Star game and not really, let's face it, giving a shit about it. Because if I did, I would have watched the game. But that was part of the allure back then because you had players play at least to the seventh inning, get at least three at-bats, and you had some players that played all nine innings where at least you could say, ah, I want to see Mike Trout play nine innings or whomever the all-star starter was for that team or even Shohei Otani. And I get it that his position is a pitcher, so it's not as if he's going to play center field. But you want to see your stars perform on that stage with nothing else around it. There's no NBA, NFL, hockey, whatever. And after two at-bats, they're gone. And they're putting in the, and no offense to that city, that organization, their team, but the backup outfielder or shortstop for the Pirates comes in and nobody cares. Or the Cincinnati Reds. Or the Kansas City Royals. You think anybody's going to be, other than their town or the city that they represent, outside of that, Nobody's going to pay attention to those players. And that's why the game itself has not only become a snooze fest, but there's not a lot of juice. And you had starting pitchers back then. So let's say, for instance, Clayton Kershaw, who started the game, makes sense. Longtime Dodger, Dodger Stadium, home setting. He could have gone three innings. At least people would have stuck with it for the first three innings to see how Kershaw would do. Nope, one inning gone, and then a string of relievers, or starters too, but from there on out. That's why I can't get with this game anymore. And if you listen to the podcast Monday, me being live at an All-Star game nine years ago, if you looked at that game then and this game now, it's pretty much a carbon copy. Not a lot of runs, not a lot of excitement. The top players come out, and you get the result that you get, which is a game that ended 3-2 to two and you could pretty much after that fourth inning in which Giancarlo and Byron Buxton went back to back you could have turned it off went to bed woke up the next morning and same result and then to think the All-Star game tried to add a wrinkle that if the teams were tied after the ninth inning that it would have gone on to a home run derby I, are, are we serious? did we not sit through two and a half hours of that the night before? so you mean to tell me if the game was 3-3 going into the 10th, that we would have had a home run derby to determine which league would have won the game? Why does we'll just have the runner on second to start off the 10th, and I'm sure the pitchers, they probably would have thrown fastballs down the middle just to get the game over with. And that's the sad part too, because the pride aspect goes out the window. I'm sure when the start of the game, and maybe for some players, they look at it as like, yes, I would like my lead to win, or I want our team to win, because that's why we compete. But it all gets thrown out the window, because are these players really there to compete, and really there to represent their leagues that they're playing for? Absolutely not. And thankfully it didn't end up in a tie, 
and you would have had a home run derby because that just would have, to me, would have just killed the whole thing. But, as it was, it didn't happen that way. They got the result that they got, and baseball, they could talk about it till they blew in the face how happy they were. It was a success. Great. Fantastic. Can't wait till next year. Didn't show that in the ratings. As I believe the ratings were at an all-time low when it comes to All-Star games. And this is a standalone event with nothing else going on in the world of sports, so go figure. All right, so now let's get to what really matters here. And now with the baseball season kicking off its quote-unquote second half tonight, and you have an interesting matchup right out of the gate. Actually, it's a double dip where the Yankees and Astros will meet again for the final time in the regular season. And we know how the season series has gone. Just last month, we had the Astros come to New York and split a four-game series to where the Yankees and their two wins had walk-off victories and come from behind fashion. So the Astros certainly showed their mettle, even against a Bronx Bomber team that, as we've seen, has been a juggernaut. Although the last week was a little bit of a tough stretch as they lost five out of six, but when you look at their record at 64-28, and they're flying high. They're going to be the one seed in the AL, and you would think that the Astros will follow with the two seed as they'll both have buys going into the wildcard round in that first week of October. So we could put that aside. To me, this isn't going to be a measuring stick Again, I thought it was more so of a measuring stick for the Astros when they played the first time around. And then remember, the few days after that series, they played in Houston that one game to where the Astros won 2-1. to one. So they really showed that they could play with the Yankees in which we thought would be, not to say that the Yankees were just going to steamroll over the Astros, but it definitely showed you that the teams may be closer than they actually are, even if they are only separated by, let me see, in the standings, Actually, three and a half games. So the Astros will have the two games tonight. Let me see, get a little pitching matchup for you. And I believe it's a day-night doubleheader, so it's not a situation where it's your typical doubleheader where it's going to start at 4 or 5 o'clock. Actually, 110, your first game. The Yankees right now undecided as to who they're going to pitch. And Kristen Javier was one of the pitchers in that Saturday game a few weeks ago to where they threw a combined no-hitter. So Javier will face the Yankees in the first game. And then later on at 640, Luis Garcia of the Astros will go up against another pitcher that's undecided at the moment for the Yankees. And you still have a few other games. Texas and Miami, that's a game where it's also a makeup from the opening week of the season due to the lockout. And I'm sure a lot of these games are just that. Although Detroit and Oakland, they're playing a doubleheader. So I would think that that's part of the mix is why we see them playing a couple of games now, similar to Yankees-Astros, and then you have San Francisco and LA, which they play all the time, first of four at Chavez Ravine. So that's going to be an interesting series to see where the Giants could get themselves jump-started to a good second half, considering the first half was good, but they're still behind both San Diego and the Dodgers deep in the NL West. And when we take a look, the American League, as I told you, those two teams are going to be easily one and two Yankees-Astros, After that, you have Cleveland and Chicago facing off against one another this weekend. The White Sox, that is. And when we look at the AL Central, before I even get to the wild card, the Guardians are currently two in the loss, but a game ahead of the White Sox in the division where both teams are two and three games back of Minnesota. The Guardians and Twins actually have the same amount of losses, but because 
The Guardians have four games in hand to the Twins. We'll take a look to see how they're going to perform here in the second half as the division is certainly a toss-up. We understand Minnesota has pretty much been in first place all year, but who knows? We've talked about the White Sox all year as far as them trying to get their season on the tracks, and I don't think they actually will, but here's a good start for them at home, which they have not had a good record, six games under at Comiskey Park or Progression Rate Field or whatever it is. So we'll see how those two teams fare over the weekend. And then the Twins, I got to see who they start off their second half with. But that's going to be a fight to the finish to see which team's going to come out of that division who will have home field in the wild card round. But the Central, again, that's going to be just a long, hot summer as to who's going to be the last team standing and host a wild card in early October. And then with the West, you have Seattle who has won 14 games in a row, and they host the Astros coming out of the break. So it'll be interesting to see if Seattle could continue to stay hot. They're at home. They currently are four games over 500 when it comes to playing in their ballpark, which is what, T-Mobile Park. It used to be Safeco, again with these stadiums and their names. But let's see if Seattle could continue to stay hot, not to say they're going to extend this winning streak to 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 games. But we'll see, because the Astros will have two games here, as we talked about with the Yankees, and then they got to fly to Seattle, so I'm sure they'll be a little road-weary, a little tired, getting into their hotels late at night, where Seattle will be rested, ready to go tomorrow, and I'm sure they'll have big crowds there up in their ballpark, so we'll keep an eye on what's going to happen between those two teams over the weekend, and I don't think the Mariners will inch that much closer, maybe they win two out of three and gain a game in the standings, but you would think... 10 in the loss, and 9 in front, the Astros in the AOS, that they'll be in good shape to win a division. As far as the wild card in the AL goes, it's all going to be about the American League East, and as it looks like at the current moment, the Tampa Bay Rays have the top spot a game and a half ahead of the Seattle Mariners, followed by Toronto, who has the last spot in the American League, and you got to remember this, Seattle's going to benefit between Toronto, Boston, and Tampa, because they're going to fight it out from now until the end of September into October, and if Seattle continues to play well, not at the current streak that they're going, because you know they're going to hit a lull, but when the Mariners know that they're going to beat each other up and have a Royal Rumble in the AL East, As long as they stay above 500 and continue to play good baseball, they will make it into the postseason to where one of those three teams, Tampa, Toronto, Boston, are going to be out. And right now, Boston is two games behind the Blue Jays for the final spot in the wildcard race. You have the Guardians at a two and a half back. You have Baltimore, three and a half back. And Baltimore has an interesting series out of the gate where the Yankees have those two games in Houston. Well, they're going to fly to Baltimore to play the Orioles over the weekend. So with everything that's happened with the Orioles, they had that 10-game winning streak. Yes, they did lose two out of three in Tampa over the weekend. So let's see if they can continue to stay hot or will this be the beginning of the end as they start to fumble, stumble, and bumble their way out of what they dug themselves out from under being nine games under 500 to currently being at 500 at 46 and 46. Let's see if they can continue to play well and keep themselves relatively in the mix when it comes to a wild card spot. Then the White Sox three and a half back, and then from there, it just 
bottoms out where the Texas Rangers are seven and a half back of that final wild card spot, and then you can forget about the rest. At this moment in the American League, how I look at it, the three teams in the AL East, Seattle, am I going to take the Guardian Series for a wild card? I have to put them in there. They are two and a half back. I look at them and the White Sox more in contention for a division than for a wild card because you probably will see some separation even though those three teams will cannibalize each other in the American League East. But I could see where if you're going to hover around 500 and these teams are going to start getting on rolls to where they'll be more than five games back, I would think, by this time next month. And then all they're going to have is a division to fight for, especially if you're in the AL Central. That's how I'm going to look at it. Can I take Baltimore seriously? I have to say no. Let me see what they do, at least out of the gate this weekend. If they lose two out of three and it's close to competitive, maybe I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But if the Yankees go in there and hit five home runs a game and they win 14-6, to then you can forget about it. And the White Sox, as we talked about, ad infinitum. Let's see what they're going to do here as they have the Guardians right out of the gate. And that's what your American League, as of right this minute, getting ready to start the second half. Because other than that, there really isn't much to delve into. And yes, it may look nice on paper because you have the White Sox, Orioles, Guardians, and Red Sox all separated by a game and a half. And then the Red Sox are two back behind the Blue Jays. And any one of those teams above them can come back down to the pack. But with the Mariners having the A's and the Rangers in their division, you would think that They'll have, I don't want to say a clear path, but you would think that they would have one of those three wildcard spots. It's who gets the other two, which is going to be interesting, and that's where you have to jumble all those teams in the mix. And in the National League, the East is going to be Mets and Braves to the finish, separated by three games and a loss, two and a half as we know. Next month will be a big test for both teams as they're going to face off nine times in a 17-day stretch, I believe. So that could go a long way as to determine who's going to win the division. But there's still plenty of time between now and then. We'll see with the Mets as today is a big day for the organization where Jacob deGrom, who had his scheduled start, rehab start on Tuesday, pushed to today because of muscle soreness in the shoulder. Something to be alarmed about? Maybe not because he is going to pitch today, but to think, If everything goes well and he passes all his tests, he could actually pitch Tuesday night City Field against the Yankees. And I'm going to say this right now, Met fans, before you get all geeked up about the Grom coming back, and I know the building will be electric, whether the Grom's starting or not, because this will be the first time that the Mets and Yankees will face one another. I'll talk more about this on Monday's podcast, but if the Grom does start that game, He's only going five innings or whatever the pitch limit is. And I'm sure the pitch limit is probably going to be somewhere between, if I had to guess, 65 to 80 pitches. There's no way he's pitching more than 80 pitches. And unless he has some clean innings and unless he doesn't have a lot of pressure pitches, chances are he's going to go five at the most. So just keep that in mind if he does happen to pitch in that game. And obviously we'll have the answers to that on the next podcast. The Phillies, who are eight and a half back, eight in a loss for the division, can we completely throw them out as far as being in the division race? 
as we all know, anything could happen. Right now, you would think it's going to be a tough chore for them to do so. But stranger things have happened in baseball, and there's still plenty to be played here between now and October 5th. So, at least for the moment, we could say they're on the outside looking in for a division, but things can happen. So, we'll see. In the Central, that's a two-team race between the Brewers and Cardinals, where they're both tied, although percentage points, half game back, the Cardinals and the Brewers. And the Brewers limped into the All-Star break, losing three in a row. Let's see how that division is going to shape up. And it's interesting because both the AL Central and NL Central somewhat mirror one another, minus one team, because the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds are done for this year. So that's going to be a race to see who's also going to be hosting a wild card in the first round come October. And then out west, you have LA, San Diego, San Francisco, as I talked about. Giants and Dodgers will meet up first of four starting tonight. And the division is already done with. You can forget about the Giants even sniffing the Dodgers as far as capturing an NL West title as we saw the Giants do last year. But they're two and a half games behind the Padres at the moment and just one in the loss. So these are important games for the Giants. And the Padres, who have played very well, and they'll actually be in New York over the weekend as they'll face the Mets for three interesting games. And the Mets did lose to the Padres earlier this year in one of their series out in San Diego. So that'll be a good series and a good measuring stick for both teams as they come right out of the gate playing against one another. And with the wild card in the National League, the Braves are clearly in good position for the wild card. And I guess anybody that comes out of the NL East, whether it be the Mets or Atlanta, if they happen to fall back into the wild card, they're going to be safe because the Braves right now currently have a six-game lead on the San Diego Padres. Now, it's four in the loss. Let me see if I got that right. Yeah, they have a six-game lead, excuse me, on the... Phillies, only four games over the Padres as far as the first wild card in the National League. So if you want to use that as a safety net, Met fans, and you don't because you want to have a buy, you want to be able to get into a division series and not have to deal with a wild card to screw up your pitching. And yes, the argument could come out to where it could be at a disadvantage for the team that has to wait a week or at least five days for the wild card rounds to complete and finish to where they may be a little rusty as the wildcard teams will go right into the division series with a few games under their belt. Right, that's all legit, but we won't find that out and get the answers to that until we actually make it to the division series so we can't put the cart before the horse, at least as of right now. And then you have the Phillies tied with the Cardinals, even though the Phillies are percentage points ahead of the Cardinals, but they both are tied for the last playoff spot in the National League. And then from there, you have the Giants, who are just a half game back, 48-43. The Cardinals are 50-44, and and the Phillies are 49-43. And then from there, unlike the American League, it falls precipitously. The Marlins, who had a tough weekend heading into their All-Star weekend as they got swept, or All-Star break, I should say, as they got swept and are currently five and a half games behind the last playoff spot in the National League. Then you have the Rockies, six and a half if you want to include them. 
but the Rockies are 7 under 500, the Marlins are 5 under 500, and of course you can't really take those teams seriously until they get to 500, and you can forget about the teams after that, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Cincinnati, and the Nationals, please, they've already started planning for 2023, and who knows whether that's with or without Juan Soto, and that's what you have there in the National League, so it's going to be jumbled from the, all right, I'll say the Padres, Phillies, Cardinals, and Giants. So you're going to have those four teams fighting for two spots. And in the American League, you're going to have, for all intents and purposes, I'll say seven teams fighting for those three spots. Because Tampa's just a game up on the, really they're a half game up on Seattle. They're a game and a half up on Toronto. And then Boston two back of Toronto, Cleveland two and a half back, and then Baltimore and Chicago, the White Sox, three and a half back. So if you want to jumble all those teams, seven for those three spots, you could go ahead and do so right now. But I'm sure it's not going to be that way once we get into August, September, and the first week of October. You would think as of right now, it will be Dodgers, Mets, one and two. I understand the Braves could throw a wrinkle in there, but then you'll have the Braves, you would think the Padres, and then take your pick of Phillies, Cardinals, Giants to get that last spot in the wild card. So with the coin flip in the American League, it could be any one of those teams. Like I said, you figure two of those teams in the AL East are going to come out with Seattle. I don't know about Cleveland, Baltimore, the White Sox, etc. In the National League, you're going to have San Diego, Philly, St. Louis, and the Giants fight out for those final two spots. And we'll see how it all unfolds. At least until we get to the middle of August and into the back end of that month to where college football will be in full view and then the NFL not that far behind. And once we get to that point and out of this sports dead zone, we could zero in on the full sports, then you'll have basketball, then you'll have hockey, and then on top of that, you'll have the baseball playoffs to where we'll be a buzz with a bunch of sports talk. But as we get through the dog days of summer, it is going to be baseball wall-to-wall, and of course, we'll be on top of this when we get back to the podcast on Monday with what is taking place over the weekend and obviously what will happen come next week. I'm going to spend literally 90 seconds on this next topic. And I get it. There's nothing to watch. There's nothing to digest when it comes to sports. But if you watched the ESPYs last night, and of course, I didn't watch a wink of it. And I think the only time I really watched the ESPYs was back in 1993, which may have been the first year of it. I don't even know. But I just can't get into it. I cannot get into these awards that really mean nothing. And I understand Because we're in this lull of the sports calendar, anything that has to do with taking a look back at the past year, whether it's the, unfortunately, the people who have left us in the world of sports, or to revisit some of these plays of the year, games of the year, athletes of the year, uh, this isn't the Academy Awards. And it's not a knock on the broadcast, the program itself, but there's just no interest. What am I watching? This is not the Academy Awards. It's not the Grammys. Uh, Nobody cares. I understand maybe the younger sports fan 
and social media and some of the things I read that Steph Curry made a mock out of LeBron James of something. I don't even know what it was. I didn't even pay attention or even want to read or watch the video. But again, why? That's all I got to say. There isn't anything to watch there. So if that's what you're into, God bless you. But this guy, uh uh-uh. I wouldn't spend a nanosecond watching that. Just me. Now, I can indulge you with some NFL talk. Yes, the National Football League, which still has plenty of time between now and the Hall of Fame game, which I couldn't even tell you which two teams are playing. And you'll have the ceremony for the 2022 class. I believe it's what, that first Saturday in August? So there's still some time between now and then. But some interesting news has come about in the last 24 hours where the San Francisco 49ers, and to no surprise, have granted permission for Jimmy Garoppolo, the quarterback and their agent, to seek a trade where you would think here over the next couple of weeks something will come down the pike to where Garoppolo will probably, and it looks like the favorite, will be Cleveland here because everything that we've talked about over the last few months and still no resolution on the the Sean Watson case to where you know a suspension is coming down at some point. I don't know if the NFL is still investigating this whole process. We know about the women. We know about the civil cases that have been settled. Everything. And with Cleveland having some big hopes this year, even with Watson maybe not in the mix, but knowing that they need a quarterback at least as a stopgap because Jacoby Brissett is not the answer. We know Baker Mayfield is now in Carolina. So the perfect landing spot you would think for Garoppolo will be Cleveland. Any other team besides that that's looking to win this year, it's definitely not going to be Seattle. It's not going to be the Bears. It's not going to be the Lions. None of those teams are going to be in the foray for one Jimmy Garoppolo. So you would think Cleveland is going to be the destination. We have to see what the Browns are going to be willing to part with at that time. And a lot of the talk you would think here over the next couple of weeks with training camp starting to get together and ramp up, who knows if Jimmy G is even going to participate with the Niners. He's still on the contract. You would think that once camp does open next week that he's going to have to report unless a deal is made prior to then. But Jimmy G, not that I'm trying to make him out to be Joe Montana or a guy that's a borderline Hall of Famer, But we know that wherever he goes, and in particular if it does happen to be in the AFC North, not to say that that's going to change the balance of power in the conference or in the division, but at least it's going to be intriguing because you know that Watson is not going to be on a football field at any time, whether it be this year or even in the near future, because you would think that whatever's going to be handed down by the league, it's going to be, you would think a year, it may be eight games, 12 games, who knows? And having Garoppolo there at least gives the fan base some hope knowing that the track record of Garoppolo making it to a Super Bowl, getting to an NFC Championship game last year will at least fire up the fan base enough to know that they'll have a shot with their defense, with their fan base chopping at the bit to get the season started and to know that they have a guy like Garoppolo who has is a very good quarterback Maybe not top 15, but we've seen what he's done, especially his post-career in New England, that he's able to take a team to a Super Bowl, that he's able to win in the playoffs, and I'm sure everybody by the lake 
in Northeast Ohio is going to rally around this quarterback for one year if a trade is consummated to where he goes from the Bay Area to Lake Erie. And that's pretty much what we have there. I know there was some sad news, me being a Steeler fan and watching the early part of his career where wide receiver Charles Johnson died at the age of 50. He was found unresponsive in a hotel, I believe. The cause of death is unknown. Number one pick, 17th overall out of Colorado, had a very good college career, played with the likes of Cordell Stewart, Michael Westbrook, who was a big-time receiver there for the Buffaloes, and at the age of 50, also played with the Eagles, won a Super Bowl with New England, that first Super Bowl victory in New Orleans against the Rams, and just sad to hear that news. 94, he was drafted, the Steelers had made the turn with two successful seasons under Bill Cowher, the coach at the time, under his belt to take his team to the playoffs. And then, of course, 94 was the year that they could have gone to the Super Bowl. They lost to San Diego in the championship game. And then the following year, did make it to a Super Bowl. Of course, lost to the Cowboys. So to see Johnson pass, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to he and his family and friends. Good player. I understand the number one pick wasn't a great player. Didn't wow you with the stats. Of course, football was even played differently at that time. The Steelers ran the ball a lot with Barry Foster. And then after that with Jerome Bettis. So Johnson, age of 50, transitioning way too soon. And then as far as the NBA goes, James Harden, two years, $68 million extension. Remember, he turned down a $47.5 million dollar contract for one year this year so he forego that by opting out because he knew that the team wanted to bring in a guy like PJ Tucker to bring some tenacity experience championship medal to a Sixer team that as we all know by now should have made that leap to a final or at least had the ability to get to those lofty expectations going back to the days of former GM Sam Hinkie Trust the process, all the draft picks, we know the whole deal. So for Harden to take that two-year deal and wanting to improve the team, let's see what he's going to do on the court because, yes, he could be generous and charitable to the organization to say, I'll take a pay cut in order to bring these players in, but we do need to see the James Harden of 2016, 17, 18, 19 to where he was putting up astronomical numbers, triple doubles left and right, and not just in a regular season game at home against Sacramento or on the road in Orlando. It all is going to boil down to those precious games in the playoffs to where you're going to need your team and for him to carry them through the fire, whether you're up to one to put a 3-1 series stranglehold, and not just in the first round, I might add, more so conference semis, conference final, and obviously NBA final. Or if you're down to one and you need to get your team over the top. All of that is imperative for Harden to put all in the work this offseason in order for him to get his team to that championship level. So it doesn't matter how many other pieces they bring in or what they do with the roster. It's all going to boil down to what he's able to do in April, May, and June. Regular season, yes. We're going to need him there for the big games, the Milwaukee's, the Celtics of the world, when they play the Lakers, Phoenix, 
Golden State. Of course, those are going to be high-intense, closely-watched games. But until we see James Harden finally rise to the occasion in the spring, that's when we'll really know that Harden not only put the work into this offseason, but he could erase all the doubters, all the naysayers, and of course the back of his playoff basketball card to show otherwise that he has finally delivered in a money spot and to be clutch and to be also amongst the all-time greats of the sport because as I said a thousand times, he could put up all these numbers in a regular season, but let's see this in the postseason when it really matters. And that'll do it, people. As I said at the top, not much to get into. Baseball carried us throughout the course of this podcast. Sprinkled in a couple other things, as you heard. But the most important thing is that you were able to stop by to be informed and entertained in the process as I delivered what was happening with the latest and greatest in the world of sports. And because you stopped by, your participation, not only that, but by you taking a chance to listen to me is not taken for granted. I certainly appreciate your time to stop by and listen to what it is I have to say. And if you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the very top, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. All I want to do is increase the visibility to make sure that people do know what the J Reels podcast is all about and who J Reels is in the scope of sports. So if you just throw me a few stars and write a review, again, that will go a long way into making sure that the J Reels podcast is in the podcast universe. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, and the like, you could do so at the following social media accounts. TikTok, the J Reels podcast. Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels podcast. Twitter, J Reels one, just a number. On Facebook, the fan page at the J Reels podcast. And then the old-fashioned way, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels podcast. I just recently put up a post, which I will also post on all my social media accounts, giving you an update as to what's happening with the podcast, where it's going, my mission statement, if you will, for where I'm at with the podcast at this very moment. So whatever you want to put forth there on that platform, I would gratefully and sincerely appreciate your generosity in doing so because whether you do or do not know, as I say each and every podcast, sports has been in my blood since birth. In the DNA, this is what I love to discuss, what I love to get into, to critique, analyze with thoughts, opinions, analysis, everything that I've discussed with all. That goes on on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Stay cool, and until next time on the J Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>